Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Welcome to church this morning. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, I just want to welcome everybody, especially uh, our guests. If you're a guest this morning, thank you for uh, joining us here at the church. Uh, You know, one time, uh, it was high school, and I was uh, coming home late, and my entire family was already asleep, and I had forgotten my key, so I was locked out of the house. So I had to climb through my window, which is usually what I'll do when I get locked out of the house. And so I go to the side gate, go to the side um, of my house to where my room was. And as I'm walking in the dark, I feel like I just walked through a cloud of something. felt like a spider web or whatever it was. Well, I, I get to my room, I slide open the window, I jump in, turn on the lights, and I look and all over my shorts and my socks were like these seeds, like these black seeds all over me. I'm like, what, what are these things, right? But I was tired. It was late at night. I want to deal with that. I just took off my socks and my, and my shorts, and I just left it there on the carpet, and I went to sleep. And then the next morning, I woke up, and I was covered from head to toe with flea bites all over my body. And because it was in the carpet, my whole house got infested. And I remember counting all the flea bites on me, and I remember distinctly stopping at 52 because I couldn't count anymore. Like, I just got tired of counting. I had bites all over my body. I hate fleas. I hate fleas. I was reading a story this past week of Corey Ten Boom. If you know who she is, she and her family during World War II were caught for smuggling and hiding people from the Nazis. And when they got caught, they were thrown into the concentration camps. And Corey Ten Boom talks about how miserable the conditions were in these concentration camps, these barracks talking about how terribly overcrowded it would be. Talk about the nauseating stench that would want to make you throw up because of how gross it it smelled. She would talk about the horrifying sounds of people getting beaten and assaulted in the next room over. And then she would talk about how miserable it was because the place where they slept was infested with fleas. It was infested with fleas. and, 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 And they were... Excited, though, because they were able to sneak in a Bible. Miraculously, her sister Betsy snuck in a Bible, and they never got caught. And they would hide deep into the barracks, and they would, they would quietly and secretly have these Bible studies. And they would read the scriptures together. And they would draw other women from the barracks to study the scriptures with them. And they said it was like a fire And as things got darker around them, it's like this fire became more appealing and drew them in closer and her sister, Betsy, as they were studying the word, they came across First Thessalonians where it talks about give thanks in all circumstances. And her, her sister, Betsy, got excited. She said, Corey, we, we, can, we can start applying this now. Let's give thanks for everything, starting with this barrack. Let's just give thanks. Let's give thanks that we're here together, Corey. Let's give thanks that we have this Bible. Let's give thanks even for these fleas. And Corey writes, that was just too much. That was going too far. She says, there is no way, Betsy, even God can get me to be grateful for the fleas. And Betsy said, no, but listen, it it doesn't say give thanks in good circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. So let's give thanks even for the fleas. 
as we enter into the season of Thanksgiving, I want to give you some focus to your thanks. And we're, we're, we're talking about the attributes of God and the characteristics of God in the series called Simply God. We talked about the compassion of God. Last week, we talked about the justice of God. Today, I want to talk about the goodness of God. Because I look at the scriptures, and it says in Psalm 136, verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So I want to talk about the goodness of God, and as we think about Thanksgiving, I pray that you would think upon his goodness in your life. Would you guys join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to reveal his goodness to us? Let's pray. And so, Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, and we know this is Thanksgiving week, and yet you call us not to be thankful on Thanksgiving week or on Thanksgiving day. You tell us to be thankful in all circumstances. So, God, teach us to see your goodness all throughout our lives in all things that we go through, good and bad, high and low. Help us to be thankful for the fleas and the failures, for the trees and the triumphs, Lord. We thank you. But God, I realize we're not all there right now. And so I pray that this hour you would open our eyes to see just how good you really are. So Lord, touch our hearts. Speak to us through your word. Move by the power of your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen, amen. I wonder where our church people are at today. Help me out if, if you know what I'm talking about. God is good. And all the time, one more time, God is good, and all the time, amen. There's another saying that's not so much a church saying, I wonder if you know it, it goes like this, say what you mean and mean what you say, mean what you say. And a lot of times we'll go to church and we'll sing songs, God is so good, and we'll talk about God is good all the time, but do you mean what you say? Do we mean what we say? Because life happens. And things hit the fan, and when it does, it's almost like our heart wants to say, God is good some of the time. Some of the time, God is good. Or our hearts want to cry out, God is good when things are good. And only when things are good, then God is good. And yet the Bible says, no, God is good all the time. He is good all the time. Why? Because that is who he is. And he does not change. I look at the Psalms again. I look at Psalm 119.68. And it tells us, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. What I want to do today is I want to expound on these two truths contained in this one Psalm. The fact that he is good and what he does is good. And so if you guys are following along in your notes, would you write this down for the first First thing I want to talk about today, this first theological truth is that goodness describes who he is. Goodness describes who he is. I think about the book of Exodus, and uh, here's this guy that God calls. His name is Moses, and Moses has this enormous task before him of leading an entire nation of Israel into the promised land. And Moses is self-aware. He knows he is not the guy. He's insufficient. He's inadequate. And so he starts, I feel my interpretation of this, he starts thinking crazy and talking crazy. 
Because here's one of the things, he, he's, he's needing security and assurance, and he says to God this crazy thing, he says, God, show me your glory. <laughs> it's like, Moses, are you crazy? Nobody can see the full glory of God. No one can see the face of God and live. And yet God, being as good and gracious as he is, wants to actually honor Moses' request. And he wants to somehow reveal his goodness and glory to Moses without killing the guy. So here's what he says. God comes up with a plan. He says, okay, here's what we'll do, Moses. I'll take you up to the mountain. I'll stick you in the cleft of the rock. I'll stick you right there in the crack. It's it's dark down there. I'm going to cover you with my hands. And then I'll let my goodness pass by. I'll let my glory pass by. I'll let you see as much of me as you, as you can without killing you. So let's do this. And so it says this in Exodus 33, 19 through 20. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Circle that word goodness. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord. Or in the Hebrew right there it says Yahweh. I will proclaim my name Yahweh in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so God plans to allow him to see as much of his goodness as as possible. And so I wonder when I hear that, what is this goodness that's going to pass by? Is it a physical presence is it a blinding light? Is it a deafening sound? Is it, is it tangible? What is this goodness that you're going to have pass in front of him? Well, we go on. Exodus 34, verse 5, and 5 through 7 says this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, the Lord. And he passed, this is goodness passing, in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. And there you have it. That's the goodness that just passed by in front of Moses, as he's hidden in that cloud, what is the goodness? The goodness is God's glory. And his glory is the full revelation of who he is. Isn't that what glory is? A person is glorified when you see them for who they are. And God is revealing to Moses, this is the fullness of who I am. And he starts listing off these attributes. I'm loving, I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, I deal with sin, I'm gracious, Slow to anger. And he's listing off all these things. And he says, this is my goodness. And so what he's showing us is that his goodness is not necessarily just an attribute in itself. But his goodness is the overall summation of who he is. All his attributes, all his characteristics are filled with his goodness. It is his goodness that conducts everything about God. Right? So... If he shows mercy, that's his goodness to those who are in need. If he shows forgiveness, that's his goodness to those who sin against him. If he shows compassion, that's his goodness to those who are suffering. His goodness is contained in every attribute. It's driven, it's conducted by his goodness. And yet praise God that his goodness 
is in all his attributes. Because not only does it conduct his attributes, it also constrains his attributes. I think about when my baby, uh, my little one was born, Irenaea, two years old now, but a couple years ago when she was born, um, her sister and, and brother like fell in love with this new baby in our family. And, uh, and they're not that much older than her, but they would, they would want to hug her and squeeze her and never let her go. And they would, they, would, they would like smother her. And I'd be like, let her breathe. Let her breathe. They would pinch her cheeks because it's okay. Stop, stop. It's turning red. She's crying. Stop. Right? And, and uh, Karis would want to hold her, her sister and, and fling her around like a rag. I'm like, stop. You're going to kill her. Right? Their, their, their emotions and affections were true, but they were without control. And I thank God that our God and his attributes, that they are constrained by his goodness. Because you think about the power of God. It would destroy the earth if it weren't for his goodness. You think about the discipline of our father in Hebrews chapter 12. He disciplines his children. But if not for his goodness, it would be overbearing. It wouldn't bring about the productive restoration that we need. It would be overbearing abuse. You think about the wrath of God. If not for the goodness of God, his wrath would have destroyed us a long time ago, and justly so. But he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to eternal life. That's his goodness containing his wrath. And so thank goodness, literally. Thank God for his goodness because it is who he is. It not only conducts every attribute, it constrains every attribute. His goodness is the filter in which his attributes are displayed. It is the parameters in which his characteristics exist. So thank God for his goodness. The goodness of the God describes who he is. He is good, amen? And yet we go back to Psalm 119, 68. I'll read it again. It says, you are good. It's who you are. And what you do is good. So write this down. The goodness of God describes what he does. The goodness of God describes who he is. It also describes what he does. Now, if we believe that, that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, then that has to be the lens through which we see life. It has to be the, the perspective we take on no matter what happens. Whatever God allows, we have to see it through his goodness. So, so here's the first thing that I want to share with you that God does. The first thing is this. God is good when he protects. God is good when he protects. How many believe that? Psalm 91 verse 14 says this. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. How many believe that God protects in his goodness? I, I, I can testify to this. When I was in college and in my young adult years, I was known for this by all my friends and all my church community that every time I got into a car on the freeway, I would fall asleep. Every time. Like 100% of the time, I would, I, would, 
I would fight falling asleep. And to the point where people from my fellowship, they gave me a, uh, a jar of sour candy to keep in my car. So when I start dozing off, I can start popping sour candy. There'd be times, like literally, I'd be driving down a 405 freeway with my head sticking out the window like Ace Ventura, like trying to stay away, like wind blowing in my face. There's times I'm driving and I'm screaming, ah, at the top of my lungs just to try to get some, some adrenaline going on inside of me. And here's the weirdest thing. I don't know why this happens, but there's times when I'm falling asleep on the freeway and I start breaking out in freestyle rapping. It's like that's weird. I don't even freestyle rap, but I, I'll do whatever it takes to, to stay awake. There's one time I was driving to Irvine late at night on a Sunday night and I'm driving at night and I look down the last thing I remembered was my speedometer read that I was driving at 70 miles per hour on the 405 the next thing I know as I'm jolted back awake I look at my speedometer it reads 102 miles per hour I don't know how long I was asleep but do you know how long it takes a 91 Acura Integra to go from 70 to 102 and I woke up and I slammed on the brakes and thank God there was not many cars on the freeway at that time of the, of the night. And I think, God, it's good. There's another time I was coming back from Irvine to uh, Torrance. It was in the middle of the day, traffic hour, and, and I'm driving and as I was nearing Torrance, I remember just dozing off and I'm drifting off. As, as I'm drifting off, I'm drifting lanes. And as I wake up, I find myself just pulling into another lane right between an oil tanker and a big rig. And I slid right in between, and I thought to myself, I could have just died. And I tell you that I'm alive, and I'm standing here before you right now, and I always say, it's because God is good. God is good. And he's protected me. When God protects us from a car accident, he's good, Amen. And when Pastor Gary, just not too long ago, was healed from cancer, we all said, God is good. And when we prayed for our Japan team in Japan, as that Category 5 typhoon was making way, we asked that God would protect them, and it didn't hit them very hard, and we said, God is good. God is good. God is good when he protects. But what about that person who does get in a car accident? How many of you have been in an accident before? Was God still good? And what about that person we loved so deeply that did die from cancer? Or when that person isn't spared from death? And I think about Paul and time and time again, dozens of times he was saved from death, so close. Only ultimately to be beheaded by Nero. Was God still good? What about when, when God protected our Japan team from that Category 5 typhoon and praise God it didn't hit them so hard, but that typhoon went somewhere and it devastated other parts of Japan and some people lost their lives. Is God still good? Is God still good? I don't know all the answers as to why terrible and tragic things happen. But if I'm to say God is good all the time because the Bible says God is good all the time, then it has to be the lens in which I see life. And so here's the second thing I want you to write down. God is still good when he doesn't protect. God is still good when he doesn't protect. What do we mean by that? Well, we have to make sense of like I look in the Bible and terrible things happen to people. Tragic things still happen to people. 
And, and I'm wondering, what if what we interpret as bad that God actually intends for good? I think about Joseph, right? His brothers wanted to kill him and, and sell him off as a slave. And he says to them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What if the accidents that happen in our life, from God's perspective, aren't accidents at all? That God is so good and he is in control. I look at the scriptures and I see people experience terrible tragedy. Some of the most faithful followers, some of the most righteous people, and they go through tragedy. I don't know if you've heard about that one guy, Jesus. Yeah, he ended up dying. He got killed in a very tragic way. And somehow, is God still good? Is God still good? And I'm looking through Scripture, and when I see even the most righteous and the most faithful followers go through terrible tragedy, I'm realizing this theological truth that God is more concerned about protecting that which is eternal than protecting that which is temporal. I realize God is more concerned about our spiritual protection than our physical protection. I think he cares about both, but we see a priority that he's caring for that which lasts for eternity, our hearts and our souls, more than that which is earthly, such as our bodies. Let me show you what I mean. John chapter 10, verse 28 through 29, here's what he says. Jesus is talking. He says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. If I read that, that looks like he's talking about he's protecting us. No one can snatch us out of his hand. He's given them eternal life. And then I look at what happens to his disciples. I mean, Luke 22, Peter One of his closest disciples gets attacked by the evil one, by Satan. And Satan's about to attack Peter, and he wants to put denial in Peter. He's going to mess with Peter. And here's what Jesus says to Peter, knowing that that's coming. Luke 22, verse 31, he says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Uh, Check that out. Jesus, this is awesome. I have prayed for you. Jesus prays for him. How how awesome is that to have Jesus pray for you, right? Imagine Jesus attends South Bay Community Church, and he's here, and after service, we're all in the lobby, and Jesus is there. And let's say you got something deep, something heavy going on in your life, and you need prayer. You need somebody with spiritual authority to pray for you. And you remember James says, uh, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So you got options. You're, you got people who can pray for you. And you're looking throughout the lobby who's available. And let's say you, you got options, right? You got Jesus Christ, the son, the righteous, the holy, the perfectly pure and wise son of God. Or, or Greg Ma, the sinful unrighteous, imperfect son of Sidney Ma. Who are you going to? Yeah, you're going to Jesus, okay? I ain't mad at you. You're going to Jesus. I'm actually coming behind you. I need prayer too. And so, so you go to Jesus because you know he's going to get his prayers answered. And here Jesus says to Peter, I'm 
praying for you. Oh, praise God. But what does he pray? He doesn't pray that Peter gets protected from Satan. He says, Peter, I pray for you that your faith may not fail, which implies what? You're going to be sifted. And Peter must be hitting his head and banging his head. Jesus, wrong prayer. Like, Jesus, you could pray better than that. You can pray better than that, Jesus. Why wouldn't you pray that I be spared from the sifting, protected from Satan? Why that when I get sifted, my faith would not fail? You could pray whatever you want, and you're now allowing me to go through what I'm about to go through. And the only reason I believe Jesus would allow Peter to get sifted is because he sees the product. And he sees that he's better off sifted than never having been sifted at all. I looked up what sifting means, and it basically is you take the wheat or the grain and you put it through a sieve or a, a strain to filter out the, the wanted parts, the desirable parts, and you're getting rid of the unnecessary parts. It was a process of purifying and refining. I, I came across this really cool fact about Michelangelo Michelangelo is known to be one of the greatest artists and architects of his time, arguably of all time. And he was known for his sculptures, and one of his most famous is David, right, which you can find in Italy. He was known for, the, for great sculptors, the Pieta. And, and yet, I think one of his best sculptures that carries biblical truth is one called The Awakening. Here's The Awakening, and this is... Uh, unfinished sculpture is actually part of a series there's other uh, sculptures like this that that look unfinished and incomplete and a lot of people think he he just got bored of this and he had other projects and he was a genius so he's thinking about this and then so he would start on these sculptures and he would stop because he got distracted and then some people say no uh, he did that on purpose like it's part of the the art and I, and I tend to believe that. See, here's what's cool about Michelangelo. He had, this, he had this saying that he is simply a tool of God, an instrument of God. And he had this perspective that he is not the creator, but he is a tool of God. And so when he works on these marble blocks, he is simply revealing what's already contained inside these marble blocks. That his job is simply to reveal the, the images that God has created within these blocks. He's not the creator. And so why in the world would Michelangelo take a hammer and a chisel to a beautiful marble block? Why? He would tell you to just get rid of the excess so that what God has created could be revealed and seen. Why in the world would Jesus allow Satan to take a hammer and a chisel to his beloved disciple Peter? And Jesus would probably tell you to, to reveal something more beautiful than what you see right now. To, to reveal something more powerful. To show the world exactly what God imagined and envisioned when he formed Peter in the womb. Peter's not done yet. And the only reason that, 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 that God didn't protect Peter was so that God could perfect Peter. 
And he turned this spineless coward who denied Jesus three times into what we later find out to be the rock on which Christ would build his church. God's going to protect us from unnecessary evils. God protects. He does. But he will not protect us from that which will perfect us. And though he didn't protect Peter from being sifted, Peter was being perfected in his faith, which we find out in the end is actually protecting his soul for eternity. And I love what Romans chapter 8 tells us. It tells us this. It says in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's eternal. And so God is good when he protects. God is still good when he seemingly doesn't protect. Let me share this with you. God is good also when he provides. God is good when he provides. And I look at Psalm chapter 84, verse 11, and it says this. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. I'll say that again. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So God does not withhold anything that is truly good from his children. If it's good, you could trust that God's going to provide that. He is. If it's good. Uh, Monica and I, uh, when we got married, we, we, we just had it all planned out, right? We're like, we, we know what it's going to look like. We're going to get married on this day, August 29th. And we, we know how long we want to wait before trying to have kids. We want to wait about a good two years uh, because we, we know that we wanted to travel and we want to enjoy each other. And we just wanted to do things together before having to become responsible parents and, and, and care for another human life. So, so we had it laid out. So we got married on August 29th, and four months into our marriage, God's like, surprise, you're pregnant, and we're like, ugh, we're like, ah, and we were literally crying. We literally cried, not tears of joy, tears of fear and anxiety, and why would you do this to us now, God? And so Evan came a lot earlier than we had expected. And um, I always um, share this. Monica actually said I, I could share this with you. But that, that, that first year of Evan's life was hard for both of us. And Monica, she shared with you that it was challenging because there were times when she just could not feel love for him. Like there's this resentment. There are times when she just couldn't emotionally connect with this, this baby because he basically just intruded and, all, you know, just altered our lives. And we didn't ask for him. And he was making life hard. I, I tell people a lot of times when I do premarital counseling, I, I always tell them, you can expect that your first year or two of marriage is going to be the most challenging and difficult years of your marriage. Right? Because it's, it's in that first year or two that, Man, your selfishness comes out. You realize how selfish you are because all of a sudden you are not your own anymore. 
you become one with another person and all of a sudden you realize that you can't just do whatever you want. You got to report to someone when you leave and when you come home, when you eat, when you spend. It's like you're not your own and you realize how selfish you are. And so it's going to be hard. Now, throw a baby into that mix and good night, right? Actually, no, sleepless night. Like it's, you don't get any sleep and it's, it's just challenging. And so when Evan came into the world, Monica and I, we, I mean, we, it was hard. We fought. We fought a lot, and it was tense. And I remember one Saturday morning, um, I just had to get out of the house, and so I left Monica and Evan at home, and I went surfing, and I spent a couple hours out there, and I, I came home. Um, and it was funny, because Monica and Evan weren't home. I was like, oh, she didn't text me. She didn't tell me where she's going. And so here I am at home Saturday morning. I start checking my email, and it just punches me in the gut. Because I, I read this long email from Monica, and she's basically telling me, I'm done. She said, I'm just fed up with your selfishness. I can't do this anymore. She says, I don't know where we're going, but I've packed my stuff, and we're, we're going to find somewhere to live. And I'm thinking, how in the world? I mean, I, 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 was, a minister, I was preaching the word. I was, I was doing God's work. So I'm a follower of God, and and. and you know, Monica's a Christ follower too, and how is it that already our marriage is falling apart and crumbling? You know what? You know what brought us back together and kept us fighting for each other? Baby Evan. Because both both of us will tell you that he he made us think rationally. When we looked at this little baby, there is no way we could allow him to grow up in a home with 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 a broken set of parents. There's no way we, we, we could not fight for each other and, and show him what a godly house looks like and, and godly parents look like, people who will lay down their lives for Jesus. There's no way we wouldn't allow him to grow up with that example to follow. And so God provided for our marriage by providing a baby that we didn't want, we didn't ask for, we didn't expect. But God knew what we needed. And I think about when the Bible says the Lord provides, Yahweh Yireh, some, some people pronounce it Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. That word in his name, provides, it is taken from the Hebrew root words to see, to have provision, to see, to foresee, to see ahead. And the word implies that our God sees, and he will provide for you what he sees fit, what he sees that you need. That's what our God does. And his goodness, the Lord will provide for you exactly what you need. God will provide, for he is good. But that brings the question, what what about the parents who prayed for a child and God didn't provide? Is he still good? What about that person who's been praying for that job or that position or just an income and he hasn't provided? Is he still good? What about that person who's been suffering and praying for healing and it hasn't come? Is he still good? And so the last thing I want to share with you today, if you would write this down, God is still good when he doesn't provide. God is still good when he doesn't provide. Right, because if Psalm 84 tells us no good thing does he withhold, it must also be true that if he withholds something, it must not be good. 
If he withholds something, it might not be the best for you from God's understanding and God's foresight. There, there have been things, if you don't mind me just embarrassing myself a little bit, but there are things I've asked God to provide for me, some significant, some less significant, and he hasn't come through. Like for one, I've prayed, I've honestly, sincerely prayed that God, you would make me a hilarious preacher. I've, I've truly prayed, God, give me comedic, comedic humor. Like I'm not just talking about like a chuckle or a laugh. I'm talking about, like, God, I want to be so funny. I want to be, like, tummy aching, eyes tearing, people rolling on the floor laughing when I preach. Why? Because I've been on the other side of that. I envy those preachers who have really opened me up through laughter because I see what it does to me. Not only does it open me up physically, but I found that it also opens up my heart. It opens me up spiritually. Because now he's got my attention. Now I'm engaged. Now I want to hear more, and I'm ready for him to drop that heavy truth on me. I can accept it at that point. So I've seen what it does to me, and so, Lord God, help me to be that person. I want to be so funny when I preach. And God hasn't provided that for me. (laughs) I appreciate your your help. Thank you. (laughs) He hasn't. At least not in the way I've imagined it or the way I've desired it. He hasn't. I shared with you about Johnny Erickson Tata a couple weeks ago. And at 17, very active, very athletic, and loved to swim. And they were at the Chesapeake Bay. She gets into this diving accident. And just like that, 17 years old, becomes a quadriplegic. From the neck down, she, she can't even move. And she's prayed for healing. <laughs> you could trust, trust her. She's prayed for healing. And decades later, she still is not healed. God hasn't provided that. In fact, she talks about how she's gone through over a decade of chronic pain. She talks about how she was diagnosed with cancer twice. Now is living with this diagnosis of breast cancer. Oh, she's prayed for healing. And God hasn't provided the healing she's asked for. And, And when she's asked about, what do you think about that, Johnny? What do you think about the fact that God hasn't provided healing? Here's what she says. It's very interesting. She turns us to John chapter 14, verse 12. And, And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm ascending. I, I'm, I've come from the grave. I'm going back to the right hand of the Father. And what you've seen me do, you're going to do greater things than me. And she says, you know, a lot of people read that and they think that means that we're going to do greater miracles and we're going to see greater healings because that's what Jesus was doing. But she says, that's not what Jesus was talking about. The work that he was doing was advancing the kingdom. The work that, that Jesus was really doing was spreading the good news of the kingdom, of the gospel. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and so you're going to be doing greater works than me, what, what's he really saying? He's saying, when I go, you're going to reach more people than I ever did. Because on earth, you see that he only stayed in Jerusalem, and he only stayed in Palestine on purpose. His intent wasn't to reach the ends of the earth. That's what he gave his disciples to do. And so when I go, the work is in you, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is in you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Why does she bring up that point? Because here's her point. God hasn't provided me healing. 
but that hasn't prevented me from living out the purpose to which I've been created for. I still have everything I need to fulfill the calling and the purposes God has on my life. And perhaps God hasn't provided that healing because by that withholding, he's providing her a platform. He's providing her a greater purpose and calling on her life. I mean, you think about the people she's able to reach right now. And then now that she has this breast cancer, check out what she says. She says this. She said, every x-ray technician, every nurse, every doctor, secretary, every clinician, every person I meet in nuclear medicine and at the MRI, it's amazing how many opportunities I've been given to see people hungry and thirsty for Christ. I knew that was true before with her quadriplegia, but there seems to be something special that is accompanying this diagnosis. I'm just so amazed by people asking me, how can you approach the breast cancer with such confidence in a God who allows it? And I'm being given the chance to answer. And you see this perspective she has on life. God hasn't provided, but he's still good. Because he's showing the world through me that, that God is a good God. And by him not answering and providing what I'm asking for is giving me a greater ability to, to live out my purpose. And that's to make a good God known. And I look at my life and the things I've asked God for. God, please give me a tummy aching, eye tearing, like rolling on the floor kind of comedic humor when I preach. And God hasn't answered that. And some of you guys, I, I could hear you coming up to me in the lobby afterward and saying, Greg, you don't have to be hilarious. God still uses you. And I would say, that's a good point. And that's a point that Johnny would make. That sometimes when God withholds and doesn't provide what you think you need, maybe it's because what you're asking for is obstructing the view of God who is more than enough for us. That maybe by God not giving me what I've been asking for and God not giving Johnny what he's been asking for, we can now see more clearly that even in our weakness, even when we lack, even in our sufficiency, God is enough. His grace is sufficient for us and he is a good and beautiful God. Amen? And so I know that God is good when he provides and God is still good when he doesn't provide. And I know my God is good when he protects, and I know he is still good when he seemingly doesn't protect. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. I opened up with you by sharing about Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy in the concentration camp. And, and they, they share how it was a miracle that they had this Bible that they smuggled in, and they were scared because they knew if they got caught. They knew the punishment was going to be great because they could hear women being assaulted by the guards just next door to them, like rhythmic, like one after the other. They're hearing people get beaten and assaulted. And so they knew they had to be very careful and not get caught saying the word. And for some reason, months would go by, and they were able to hold these Bible studies and these prayer meetings and they drew in women from the barracks 
And Corey Ten Boom says it was amazing. Countless numbers of women came to know Christ through faith because of these Bible studies. And we never got caught. The guards never came to check on us in the barracks. One day, they found out why. The supervisors and guards, they never wanted to go into the barracks deep where they were doing their Bible study. You know why? Because of the fleas. Thank God for the fleas. Thank God for the fleas. In everything, give thanks. For he is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for the goodness that surrounds us every single day, even when we don't see it. Forgive us for the times we've shaken our fists at you and we've complained about you not providing or you not protecting. God, help us to see through the lens of your goodness. And God, help us to be thankful. Help us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Thank you that your love endures forever. And God, we thank you. We thank you for the fleece and the failures. We thank you for the trees and the triumphs, Lord. Thank you for everything, God. And I pray that you would continue to form our hearts and form our perspective and help us to throw our hands up and hallelujah. And sometimes hallelujah anyway, because we know that you are in control. And we thank you that you are a good good father. We love you and worship you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.